Man. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be here. Today is the day that the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. So I'm happy about today, and I'm happy about being here today. I, I'm telling you, that was some great singing. I saw you standing back from that mic. I said, she's going to let it go. <laughs> she, she was easing back. I said, she's, it's coming. It's coming. And, and, and y'all did a great job. I really, really enjoy it. Hearing the singing, hearing the Lord's prayer, all the singing I'm saying, I'm resting. I am resting in the Lord. I like that. I like that a lot. Thank you for having me this morning. I'm glad to be able to be here to preach God's word to you. There's a word from the Lord today for you, for God's people, for you to own these people and own this place that you're sitting in. You have a responsibility to this place here today. And I'm glad to be able to be here to tell you about God's word. From what I understand, Nathan told me he's already been preaching through the book of Ephesians already. So I'm just going to do what First Peter said. Well, actually, in Second Peter says, I want to stir up your remembrance. Good preaching always reminds you about what you already know. I'm not going to tell you anything you don't know already, but I want to stir up in your minds the Word of God. Stir up in your hearts the Word of God to make you excited about what you already have in your mind and in your spirit so you may go out and do those things that God called you to do. Now, I'm going to move around. I told Steve in the back, I said, I like to move around and walk around because you can't hit a moving target. So if I, if I mess up and you throw tomatoes, you won't get it on me because I'm going to move around a whole lot. Uh, but I do it because I'm nervous. Because <laughs> I'm nervous and whatnot. So I had to move around a little bit while I'm talking. Let's bow our heads to pray and we'll get started. Gracious Lord, thank you for this day and thank you for this opportunity to be before your people and to worship with my friends. We were enemies with you before, but then you made us friends to you. And now we're friends with one another because we're in Christ Jesus. So, yes, we're friends, Lord, and they're my friends. They're my brothers and sisters and I'm theirs. Father, my sins are great. Your grace is greater. This I pray in your gracious son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, as Clint said, and, and Nathan said, we've been back and forth in the hospital. So uh, I, my wife and I have been living in the hospital since Friday. Yes, Friday morning, been living in the hospital and trying to deal with a lot of things there. And, and, and God has been really blessing my son to get better and better over these last few days. And so I thank you, uh, for Clint, for praying for him. And I thank Nathan for praying for me in times past and good to put a, a face with the person you've been praying with and for praying for my son even uh, before we come up uh, to be here to preach today. Uh, I want you now, I'm going to do something a little strange, so don't laugh at me, okay? Don't laugh at me. But the kids will get it. The kids will understand. They'll appreciate it. Bob the Builder, can we fix it? Bob the Builder, yes, we can. Yes, we can. Kids get that. Kids understand that. Parents, you got it too. You understand. You know that song, Bob the Builder. You understand who Bob the Builder is. Bob the Builder is known for building projects. He builds stuff around the neighborhood. And he gets people to join in in building with him. And Bob the Builder is always building something that's positive, something that's great, something that's good, right? And here in the church, we need to have the Bob the Builder mindset. We need to be building great things and good things and getting other people involved in our building projects. But oftentimes in the church, we don't build great things, do we? We build negative things. We don't, and we get people involved in our negative building projects, don't we? We build up walls that separate us from other people. That's what we do. And today we'll talk about these walls that we put up. We'll talk about how God deals with others. As you saw in your, build, in your bulletin, the re-deconstruction in the church. And, and I'm going to explain that. Christ tore down the walls, right? 
He tore them down, the wall that was between the Jews and the Gentiles. The walls that's between blacks and whites. The walls that's between male and female. The walls that's between poor and rich. And what do we do on a consistent basis? We rebuild these walls all the time. We're Bob the Builders. We're Bizarro Bob the Builders is what we are. We rebuild them. So the gospel says, tear down what you rebuilt. And so we go through this process in the church of building up stuff to make us separate. And then the gospel comes and says, tear it down. So we're in the rebuilding and tearing down process all the time. I want to help you to re deconstruct the walls you may have built up in your life to make you separate from people. I do it all the time. I'm always in a construction project of trying to tear down things that I've built up. Now, there are many different kinds of people in the world. You have people who are different, who don't like each other because of nationalities, because of religion, because of race. All these many different things why people say, I don't like you and you're different from me. Cats and dogs are different. You know, all this kind of stuff is just different from one another. But God called us to be together, even in our differences, right? Even in the Jews and the Gentiles, what we see right here in our scripture, we see that they're different from one another. The Jews worshiped the one living and true God. The Gentiles had other gods that they worshiped, non-living gods. The Jews had ways of living. The Gentiles had different ways of living. The Jews were told, you'd be away from the Gentiles. And the Gentiles didn't like the Jews from that, and the Jews didn't like the Gentiles, right? So they were always separated from one another. In this world, you have this, in, in the evangelical church, you got this whole phrase called otherness. It's a new word. Otherness. What is otherness? Otherness is just a state of difference. State of being different is what it is. I have some otherness about me. You have some otherness about you. When we go out to the community together, the community is other than us too, right? It's different from us. Just a state of being different is what, it all, what all otherness is. So I'm going to just kind of lay out for you how Paul deals with this otherness. How does God deal with being different from other people? And we want to point that out, and I hope you take down some notes from one night so you can see how God does it, and then you can see how we ought to do it, right? We want to follow his model, correct? And so Paul deals with the otherness by talking about this church. This church was an outward church, as we can see, the church of Ephesus. This church went out. Uh, going out means that you can bring in some trouble, is what it does. This church was an outward-minded church. It went out into the community. God used persecution to scatter the people. But he also used it to spread the gospel, right? And by going out and spreading the gospel to other people, people come to the church who are different than you. That's good and bad. This is a good and bad problem. It was bad because some people started to not like the new people that were coming. They look different from us. They dress different from us. They sound different from us. But then it shows a good thing, the fact that they were still going out. This church ought to be having an otherness issue going on. You ought to be dealing with problems of how do we deal with people who are different from the majority of us that's here? You need to be trying to figure those things out. How can we accommodate? How can we love on? How can we cater to? How can we seek out? How can we shepherd people who are not like us in our church? Paul says that we need to have this attitude of otherness. God used that gospel, used the persecution to spread that gospel. And uh, today, he doesn't use persecution in America, but oftentimes you're persecuted for going out, though, are you? People look at you strange. You say, well, I'm going to go to that neighborhood and go preach the gospel. I'm going to go to these people and go and preach the gospel. I'm going to go to this person who is different from me and love them and preach the gospel. Why are you doing that? They're different from you. Of course, we need to go out. We need to go. We should have a 911 mentality in the church today. We should be uh, on the emergency call of going out. 
And I think about that because I think about what 911 did for my son. When the nurse called 911 to come out and see about my boy, they didn't ask any questions about, is he anything like us? Is he similar to us? Is he going to be different from us? No, the call created the command to go. See, they had to be told to go. All they needed to receive was a call. And the call meant go, period. That's what it should be with us. God calls us, so we ought to automatically go. We need to have the 911 attitude and the 911 actions. We ought to be ready to just move, not based on any type of criteria. And they came, they gave help, and they gave assistance to my family. How can believers be the same way in our actions of being 911 spirits? 911 action and attitude people, where we just go because the call has come in. You've been given the call as a believer. You've been given the call to the church. Go. Go out and spread the gospel. Go out and preach that gospel to these people that you know who are other than you, different than you. Just to give you a little background, again, I'm stirring up in your remembrance what you already have memorized that Nathan's been preaching to you for the last 100,000 weeks. Right? Y'all in chapter 5 or chapter 6, from what I understand. One of those chapters, though, but you're far along in Ephesians, so I know you got everything memorized. You got it. But just to kind of bring you up to speed to help you remember what's going on, Paul started this church with Priscilla and Aquila. Paul preached in the synagogue in Acts chapter number 18, uh, verse 18 through 26, and Priscilla and Aquila kind of took it on from there. It's one place we talk about the church in Ephesus. Another place in First and Second Timothy, Paul talks about the church in Ephesus. He says you got a lot of false doctrine, false teachers going on there, and you got a lot of disputes happening in Ephesus in the church. Also in Revelation 2.17, Jesus writes a letter. He says, you have lost your first love to the church of Ephesus. You've lost your first love. Let's get an understanding of what Paul is trying to do. We're trying to get people to deal with otherness here. So in Ephesians 1 and 2, Paul wants to lay out the groundwork. We always hear the phrase that the, the ground is level at the cross. Paul wants to understand we're all on the same level. In Ephesians 1, Paul points out and says, look, you all are saved the same. You're saved the same. He says that you were chosen. You were chosen before the world was even created, before the foundations of the world was created. He says you were predestined to be sons and daughters of God, right? He says this is all according to God's good pleasure and his will. And he says that you were accepted in the beloved, right? So we're saved the same. Paul says you're also separated from God the same too. You look at Ephesians, Paul, Ephesians chapter number two, Paul said you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead in trespasses, all of you, all of us. We also all walked in sin. We also uh, walked in sin according to the world and the prince of the power of the air. We also conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh. We all also are by nature children of wrath. So Paul says you're saved the same. Paul says you're separated the same. Paul also says that God treats us all the same, right? He says that God loved us. He said that God made us. He says that God raised us up. He said God made us sit in heavenly places together. He also says in verse number uh, eight in chapter number two, he says, you all are saved by grace through faith. And he says in verse number 10 that, God created us and we're the workmanship of God that our works were prepared beforehand so that we may do them. I don't know how much work I got to do, but God has already set the work out. I don't know when, I don't know what my work is going to look like, but God has already called me to work. How many of you today know that you've been called to work? You've gotten the call, so you've got the command, right? 
Be 911 in your action and in your attitudes. He's called us to go on out. This brings us down to our bite of our, our sermon today, verse number 11. Paul says, therefore, therefore, remember. The, 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 Paul says, remember what you were before you had Christ. Remember who you were before you had Christ Jesus. Paul is trying to get them to think back on what was going on. And sometimes remembering can be very painful. When you think about your life before Christ, you cringe. So I know I do. Like, man, that, that was a bad dude back then. I was bad. I was like shaft bad, you know. I was bad. And, and, and people will remind you of your past. And, and sometimes you have to remember your past. You, 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 Paul says, think about, remember where you were. Remember who you were before Christ Jesus. Then Paul, when he says that, he says that you Gentiles, you were, one time you Gentiles in the flesh were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hand. Paul is kind of saying, look, these circumcision people are calling y'all the uncircumcision. But Paul wants to understand that the circumcision of the flesh is not real. It's the circumcision of the heart is what really matters. But you see this name calling going on. You're the uncircumcision. We're the circumcision. You know, oftentimes in separating people in racism, name calling plays a big role in that. You know that, don't you? Name calling, labeling people, identifying people plays a huge role in racism and separating people in classism, calling people different names. That, that, that hurts. Names are used to label you and to identify who you are. And it don't just happen between races. It also happens within races. It happens between males and females. Now, I don't know how many of you have seen the movie Color Purple, but I, it's one of my favorite movies. I pretty much got the whole movie memorized. I can sit down with it and just quote line after line. But in Color Purple, Mr. Uh, was Celie's husband. Mr. didn't want to marry Celie, but that's all he had to marry. So he married her, and Celie didn't want to marry Mr. So Mr. hated Celie, and Celie hated Mr., and they hated one another. But Celie was afraid of Mr. because he would beat her all the time. And so it came to the point where Celie finally got the courage to leave Mr. And she had put that knife to his throat, and she was going to go, and she had gotten in the car with her friend. They had packed up, and Mr. ran out, and he, he called us a name. He said, you're poor, you're black, you're ugly, and you're a woman. What are you going to do? You're poor, you're black, you're ugly, and you're a woman. He was, he was trying to let her know, out of all the stuff I've said about you, the worst thing you are, you're a woman in today's time. What are you going to do? How are you going to do anything? How are you going to make it in life? How are you going to succeed? And so he was saying this name calling to tear her down, to make her feel bad about herself, right? But then Cedar responded, she said, I may be poor. I may be ugly. But I'm here. <laughs> I'm leaving you. Look at my situation where I'm going. And so oftentimes you can't let the name calling stop you. You can't let the name calling keep you separated. You can't let, let, let the name calling impede you from going to other people or allowing people to come to you and love you. Right? Don't let the name calling get in the way. Don't let someone else's name calling stop you from going. Right? I can't allow someone's name calling stop me from loving Clint and loving people who are different from me. I got to move past that, right? Because I'm a 911 believer is what I am. So I got to go on out. Let's look at a few things that Paul points out that separated the Gentiles from the Jews. He, first of all, said, look at your, look at your Bible here. 
Paul says, in verse number 12, says, remember that you were at the time separated from Christ. You were without Christ, right? He says you were without Christ. He then says that, that you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, right? So they had no community. He then says that you were strangers to the covenant of promise, so they had no claim on any promises of God. And then he says you had no hope because of this. And he says then you were without God, without Christ. I wonder, why did Paul say that they were without Christ, saying that to the Jews, to the Gentiles? Is it the Jews? They were without Christ too. But Paul is, is showing that the, the practices of the Old Testament were signed, they pointed to Christ. And so the work these, that the Jews were doing, the, the, the sacraments, the, 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 the structure of, of, the, of, of the way things they did in the temple were pointing to Christ. They had a hope to seek as a covenant promise to Christ. Gentiles didn't have this promise at all. So he said, you didn't have any hopes of Christ. It wasn't even on your radar that one day Christ would be anything for you. Even though the Jews didn't fully understand this. They didn't fully get all of this. So Paul's saying, you were without Christ. You were out the promises of Christ. You were, out, you were alienated from the community. You were without hope, period. Nothing was for you. Nothing was for you. And he pointed these things out. This is how you are so different. Yet you live in the same world with people who are different from you. Same world they lived in. I talk about uh, Hernando. Hernando has a place, if any of you have been to Hernando, most people come to Hernando, they like to go to Velvet Cream. Velvet Cream is right there on 51. They say Elvis Presley used to go there and eat all the time too. I know Tom Dees on Channel 13 knew. He always at Velvet Cream. He loves Velvet Cream. But Velvet Cream has been there many, many years. And I remember one time I took my mom to an event in Hernando, and this lady was talking about, you know, she was a white lady. She was like, I've been to Velvet Cream, and we used to go and throw frisbees in front of Velvet Cream, and we had a great time in Velvet Cream. It was, it was just beautiful. It was lovely. And she was about the same age as my mom. So when we left the event, my mom said, you know what my experience of Velvet Cream was? As black children, we had to always go as a group to walk to Velvet Cream because the white boys would throw rocks at us to get to Velvet Cream. We just wanted to go there and get some ice cream. So we had to go as a group. And, and sometimes they would sick dogs on us as we went as a group. Sometimes adults had to walk with us as we go as a group because we would face name calling and people throwing things at us just to try to get the velvet cream so we can get some ice cream. And then when they got the velvet cream, they had to order at the side window. You could, they couldn't order at the front window. There's a side window they had to order at, at velvet cream. That was her experience there. In Hernando, Mississippi, uh, where people live together but have different experiences, though they're different. Uh, my grand, my great-granddad told his son, which is my granddad, he said that, that they had to say good morning to the gray mule. Good morning to the gray mule. And the reason they had to say good morning to it because the mule was gray and it looked white, so blacks had to say good morning to it. You had to show the mule respect. That's the way they grew up. My granddaddy on my dad's side was a smoker. He, he rolled his cigarettes, and sometimes we used to roll them for us and uh, for him. And, and one day his children were visiting down. Uh, they had all moved, to, a lot of them moved out west and up north, and they were visiting. They were saying, Dwayne, we used to go to the, to the store for daddy. We had to get Prince Albert tobacco. That's what they used to get. But at the time, you couldn't just be black and go and say, give us some Prince Albert tobacco. You had to say, Mr. Prince Albert tobacco, because the man on the can was a white man. You had to show that man on the can respect as a black person. Mr. Prince Albert tobacco is what you had to say. People living in the same place having two totally different experiences, two totally different things going on. Uh, Another thing to help you about people in the same place to help you understand. I told you some things that you may not, may not have known about, but 
there's some kind of a political race going on in Mississippi right now. I don't know if you heard about it. There's some kind of race going on between two guys. It's like a WWE fight going on down there. They arguing about something. And they're all in the same camp with each other. Dad Cochran and Chris McDaniel, right? They're both Republicans. And, and, and you ought to see them in Hernando. They're, they're on opposite sides of the street. And, and, and they're in the same camp, the same group of people, but they got their signs out saying, this is why we're good. And they got the signs saying, that's why they're bad. This is why they're good. This is why they're bad. We're good. They're bad. Right? <laughs> it's going back and forth. They're looking at each other and they, I don't know if they're crumping. You know, I don't know what they're doing. They, I don't, you know, is, is it a Michael Jackson fight going on with the knives and the beating? I don't know what's going on, but it's funny to watch. You know, it's kind of funny to look at. They're real excited and passionate about it, and they're going back and forth. But I thought about it. I said, you know what? We do the same thing. We have our signs up. We're saying, this is why we're good, and that's why you're bad. We walk around with these signs out saying, this is why I'm good, and this is why you're bad. But we're the same, right? We're the same people. God created us, right? But then God saved us, so we're believers. We're his children. So why do we have our signs up standing on different corners? Why are we doing this to one another? Hurting each other, pointing out these differences with each other, bringing down one another instead of coming together with each other. Paul says to remember, but he says it for a reason. He says, I want you to remember so you can rejoice. Look at the next set of scriptures here. Paul says in verse number 13, he says, but now in Christ Jesus, but now in Christ Jesus, Paul says you need to remember these things so you can rejoice. Sometimes remembering things that hurt you makes you appreciate where you are now. Rejoice because of where you are now. You see, when I remember things about my life, it helps me re- re- to rejoice about what I got going on now. I remember one time my counselor in high school said, Dwayne, you cannot make it to college. You, you're not smart enough to go there. But I rejoice because I have a college degree now. I I, I remember being told I was dumb and stupid much of the time growing up right to my face. But I rejoice now that I know that I'm not dumb and stupid. I remember not having food uh, many, many days going around uh, in Oxford uh, and lying to people saying, look, my truck broke down. I need some gas money for my truck. But actually, I was trying to get money to feed my wife, my wife who was pregnant with our son. But now we got food we're trying to give away. Now we're trying to go on diets and trying to quit eating food, right? (laughs) See, I remember the bad things, and and it causes me to rejoice about where I am now. About where I am now, right? I'm happy about where I am now. Paul says, remember, Gentiles, what you were called, but rejoice about where you are now in Christ Jesus. He says, but now, but now. You know, but now means nothing without Christ Jesus. You may say, but now I have a better job. It means nothing. But now I have the house that I want to live in. It means nothing. But now our church is in a great location with more people. It means nothing. But now I have the friends I want to have. It means nothing. But now my son is healed. It means nothing. But now my bills are paid. It means nothing. But slavery is abolished. It means nothing. But Jim Crow is torn down. It means nothing without saying, in Christ Jesus. If your but now does not end with in Christ Jesus, it don't mean a thing. Some people say it don't mean a thing if you ain't got that swing. Do what, do what, do what. It don't mean a thing if you don't have Christ Jesus. See, I'm not identified. I'm not known. I, it's, it's my, my life is not encompassed by the things or my accomplishments in life or what my current position is in life. I'm known by who I am in Christ. 
That's what matters to me. And if I'm known by that and so are you, what's to keep us from being together? What's to separate us? Right? If nothing separates from the love of God, what should be separating us from the love of my believing friends and my brothers and sisters in Christ? We should be together. It means nothing. Then Paul says, he says, but you were far off. Look at in verse 13. You were far off. Right? You were, you were away. Gentiles were far off from God and they were far off from the Jews. What are some things uh, about other races and other people and classes of people that make you far off from them? What makes you far off from someone else in relationship? What makes you say, you know what? I'm not going to deal with them. We all say, I, I'm not doing that. I'm not talking to that person. I'm not going to that group of people. I'm not going to that neighborhood. What makes us do that? What, what are some of the things you can think of that cause you to be far off from somebody? I remember I was, I, I was far off because in Hernando, it was just, you know, my, my grandparents just kind of taught you, you know, don't trust, you don't trust white people, don't trust them. Don't, that was parts of Hernando I'd never been in until I started working for the city of Hernando. I'd never been in some parts of Hernando. My mom had never been on the tennis courts in Hernando until I took her on the tennis said, Mom, let's go to the tennis courts and walk on them. I had aunts and uncles who had never walked on certain parts of the courthouse grass in Hernando because blacks couldn't walk on certain areas of the grass. But when we come out for family reunion, they walk all over the grass because they had never been able to walk on it growing up. They couldn't go to the library, so they go to the library and walk in the library because they couldn't go in the library growing up. These things uh, kept us separated. It kept us far off from each other. So this thing was set in my mind, but I had a friend uh, named Ricky who came to us and loved us. She was a white lady and loved my, my, my wife and loved my son. And you sit down and have dinner with us and, and just talk to us all the time. And it was a different experience for us. It's like, man, that's not true what I was told. I was told a lie. Every white person is not like that. So why am I saying that everybody's like, this woman loves us and cares for us. And her family, her daughters and son, they come and they visit with us. And her husband visits with us. And they sit down and eat with us. And they pray with us. And we laugh and joke with each other. And then when I had my, my experience with meeting Clint and Christ's Covenant, Christ's Covenant Church didn't know me. They knew of me because I deal with their children in soccer and baseball and basketball. But they didn't know me. But my wife had an abscess too. And, uh, and they heard that she was sick. And somebody found out that I couldn't cook. And every morning a Christ's Covenant member showed up. Yeah, I don't cook well at all, but I microwave greatly. I'm a great microwaver. <laughs> you cook it, I'll warm it up. <laughs> Guaranteed. I, sometimes I'm good at popcorn, too, and oatmeal. See me later. But, but nobody at Christ's Company knew me and, and knew, or knew my wife, but they showed up every morning with a hot meal every morning for us. They cared for us, and they didn't even know us. Even know us. That, that changed stuff for me. That changed me. That, that showed me something totally different. And you can have that same impact on someone too. It don't have to be somebody black. It don't have to be somebody poor. It don't have to be, it be whoever that's different from you. Who, who's other than you is who you need to go out and show different. Show them that what they heard is not true. And that was so great for them to do that. Now, what makes us far away from God? Sin makes us far away from God, right? Sin separates us from God. What makes us far away from one another? Huh? We push people, we push away from God and we push people away from us. Sin pushes me away, then I push you away. Right? That's how we interact with each other. But we shouldn't be doing these things of pushing one another away. Now, the Gentiles were considered to be far off 
from God, and the Jews were considered to be near to God, but neither one of the groups were reconciled to God until Christ Jesus died on the cross. They were all non-reconciled people, so it took Christ reconciling them. Look at verse number 14. It says, Therefore he himself is our peace who has made us both. One has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Verse 16 says that he might, so he might reconcile us both to God. Christ reconciled, Christ created a peace between men and he created a peace between God. The work Christ did on breaking down or tearing down a wall of hostility, he did it from piece to pieces. He created peace and then he started breaking up stuff into pieces is what he did. Christ created peace between you and I, right, in principle. And then it says that he broke down, he destroyed into pieces the wall, the very thing that was separating Jews and Gentiles. They had this wall that was set up at the temple that separated Jews and Gentiles. It kept the Jews from going to the Gentile court. They kept them from having access to one another. Paul says that Christ broke it. He said he knocked it over. He broke it. He destroyed it. Because of the peace he created. He knocked things into pieces is what Christ done. What, what he does for, for us. And that's what Christ did here. He knocked it into pieces. And he gave us access um, we have to do a work in today's society of, of knocking down these walls, right? Christ tore down the wall. He destroyed it. But yet the mindset to be separate was still there. Civil rights movement destroyed the laws of Jim Crow. But if it were not for people taking down the no color or the whites only signs or the color only signs, then the separation would still be there, Right? We, the law said it was not there, but if you don't take down those signs, you don't remove those things that cause separation, that, that scream separation, it will still be there. What about my life that's showing people that I'm still separated? How can I tear that stuff down? How can I redeconstruct? How can I tear down walls in my life that says that I'm open to you and I love you and I'm going to make effort. And I'm gonna, it's going to cause energy and time and sacrifice to be with you. How can I do those things? That's what I want to do. Tell out the things that separate us. Paul then says that by abolishing, look at verse number 14. It says by abolishing the law of commandments. He did this by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances, right? These very laws of commandments and ordinances were the very things that made the Jews unique from the Gentiles, right? What makes you unique from other people? What makes you unique from other races, cultures, classes, and customs? Huh? What makes you different? Right? How can you tear down those things? How can you say, you know what? What makes me different from you? I'm going to tear that stuff down so I can connect with you. Because you need to own this place. Grace Community, you need to own this three miles around you. You need to own it. You're God's people. You're 911 people. You got to go. You got to go get it. It's yours. God has commanded for us to go. Right? Even in churches, we have this whole separation thing. Well, the worship music ain't quite like I'm used to. Now, I, I grew up in Baptist. That's where I've been born and raised at. And I play drums, and my wife played the piano, and we like this. <laughs> we like to, you know, clap. And I come to Christ's covenant, and there ain't no clapping. <laughs> you know, no crack, there was no clapping going on here tonight either, though. But I was, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to conform. <laughs> 
trying to conform one night. I was, I was enjoying it. I was like, divide. I was like, I love this music, man. I just need to get this drum right here. Let's get the going and whatnot, you know. But people say, you know, well, we can't be together because they, 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 they don't never clap. I can't go to that church and they don't clap. Or they clap too much. They're, they're, they're not, they're too quiet. They whisper. They too loud. We can't be around that. All this stuff we cause to separate one another. But we're all worshiping the one true living God. But yet we stay separate. We do this stuff even in the church. They're too emotional. They don't have enough emotion. <laughs> all that stuff. I love coming. I had gone some time without being at Christ's company because we did not have a nurse for a long, long time to come sit with our son. And so I was there trying to help Brandy, my wife, go deal with Kyle. And sometimes he had bad nights. We up all night. And it went like a month or so. And I got a chance to get to church one Sunday. And, uh, and I, I said, you know, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Glad to be in church. And I wouldn't say, I wouldn't mean it in general. I'm just glad to be in church. I was glad to be at Christ's covenant church. I could have went to my home church, which was five miles away from where I live. See, I'm born and raised in Hernando. There's plenty of churches I can go to where I know everybody. But I was glad to be at Christ's covenant church. I wanted to see Christ's covenant church members. I wanted to look at their faces and hear their voices and shake their hands and see their babies. And love on their families and them love on me. Because I miss them. And we're the only black couple there. And I miss them. I love them. They love us. You see, the gospel will help you do that. The gospel will bring you from their point of saying, you know, I'm not going there because I don't like what they got going on. It's a little bit different from what I'm used to. The gospel will say, you know what, forget all that. I'm there to serve God. I'm there to serve those people. The gospel will drive you to go where you don't really want to be. But I really want to be there. It'll make you want to be there. Give it a chance. Preach the gospel to people and then it'll make them come. And then whatever differences you got, the gospel will help them to overcome those things. If he can deal with my wicked heart, surely he can overcome the fact that y'all don't have the drum going on over here, right? If he can overcome my heart, surely he can overcome the fact that, well, if some other people come in here and it gets a little louder here, y'all can deal with it. If you get a little rhythm going, y'all can deal with it, right? You won't let that stop you, will you? Huh? Surely the gospel can help you overcome that if you can overcome your heart that's full of sin. Yes, he can. Yes, of course he can. Of course he can. So Christ tore down this wall that's between, between people, making one man is what it says. Look at verse number 15. He might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace, Right? This one new man, this, this one new man is different from the other man. It's not a new generated man, right? It's, it's not an enhancement of the old person. No, it's a brand new creation. Ezekiel 36 is uh, one of my favorite chapters to read. God says that I will take away your stony heart and I'll give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and I will cause you to walk in my ways and cause you to walk in my statutes. He'll give you a brand new heart. He won't redo your old messed up heart. He'll give you a new heart. He made a new man right here out of the two separate people. He tore down that wall and said, here's one. So Christ created unity horizontally between people so he can create unity vertically with God. See, he brought us together here. So he can then take that and say, God, I'm going to reconcile them on the cross to you vertically. You get it? Here, there. That's, that's, yeah, that's 90 degrees. That's what he did. Christ does this work for us. Christ brought people together. That's what he does. Christ is the one who helps us to come and be one 
uh, one body. All of that leads to a new relationship. Look at verse number 16. He brought the two together, making so making peace in verse 16, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Right? And he came and preached peace to, who, to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Christ created this whole new relationship. Check this out. Listen to this whole process. Christ created peace first. Peace then led to unity. And unity led to a new relationship. How can you apply that to your life? How can you create peace between people who are different than you that will lead to unity with those people that will lead to a whole new relationship? Peace, unity, relationship. That's what Christ did. Why can't it work for us? Right? It should. It ought to work. Maybe. I think it applies. Yeah? So the, the whole access to, by, by access to the Spirit, uh, the, the high priest can only go in the most holy of holies. Right? And he did that on the Day of Atonement. Everybody else... The Jews were in a court that was near that place. The Gentiles were in a court that was further away from that place. But when Christ died on the cross, that tore down the veil, right? Tore from the top to the bottom is what it says in Matthew. It tore it down and it gave us access, direct access to the throne room of God. So I don't have to go through a person. I don't have to sit in a little confessional room and talk to a guy who then talked to God. But I can go to my daddy right now if I need to. While my boy was not breathing, while he was blue at the lips and blue in, in the feet, I was praying to God while bagging him. While he was suffering with his asthma attack, I was praying and suctioning him at the same time. I was doing work right here on earth, but yet my heart was in heaven. The Spirit was carrying my, my, my prayers to heaven before the throne room of grace. While I'm in trouble, God saw about me. While you're in trouble, he'll see about you. While you're in your distressed moment in life, God will be right there with you. All you got to do is come to him. All you got to do is call on him. And he comes. He works. See, it's not that I didn't hear this. I know this. I know it. I see it working in my boy's life. I see it working in my life. He deals with people like me. When my boy first was born, and, uh, and he went, you go 10 minutes without oxygen to the brain, it's irreversible. My boy went almost an hour. So, he doesn't walk, talk. He does nothing. Lays there. And he's 16 years old next month, mind you. 16. Children, they don't live that long. He's 16. Thank God for that. And my, but when he was born, the doctor said, oh, he's not going to make it throughout the night. He's not going to make it. I got on Highway 6, leaving Tupelo, going back to Oxford in my Ford Ranger truck, a Blue Ranger, Ford Ranger truck. And I cried out to God, God, if you just saved my boy. You save my son, I do whatever you want me to do. And he saved me in my truck, a Blue Ranger on Highway 6 one night, leaving Tupelo, going back to Oxford. God heard me in that truck. God will hear you right where you are right now today. Wherever you're at in your stage in life, God will hear you. When you call out to him, when you cry out to him, he will see about you. So how does God deal with otherness? And I'm done after this. How does God deal with otherness? We look at this whole passage of scripture here. We look at all of his feasts. We look at all the Bible. It sums it up to this. God deals with otherness by these few steps. First, he loves us. His loving calls him to then seek us. His seeking calls him then to save us. And the saving of us gives us new relationship with him. That's what it is. How can you model that? You need to, first of all, love Christ. 
Whatever you do ought to be done out of a love for Christ, not humanistic love, because it will fail every time. But a love for him, and if you love him, it will cause you to go seek them. And if you seek them, Christ will save them. And you can disciple them, and you can have a relationship with them. You love him. You seek them. Christ saved them. You have a relationship with them. Can you do that, church? Will you do that, church? Will you hear the call of Christ and be 911 in your action? And will you tear down your walls that you built up in your heart and in your life? You tear down your signs that you said, I'm different from someone else, and go preach the gospel, model the gospel, love the people because of your love of Christ and bring them to you, bring them to him. Let's bow our heads to pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for this time you've given us in your word. You are most amazing, God. You are mighty, Lord. And God, you are able to work in the most wretched of hearts. You are able to work even in your children's heart, God, to stir them up to action. To stir them up out of their apathy, Lord. To make them excited, to give them purpose and focus again on going out. Because of their love for you. Help Christ. Help uh, Grace, Lord. Grace community here to embrace this place. To own this place. To own the people that are coming. And to own this place that they're in. And preach the word of God to people. Lord, thank you for bringing me here. Thank you for your grace showing me. Thank you for the loving people that's been here. Been so kind to me. My brothers and sisters in Christ. I love them, Father. I pray the Lord this church would be uh, effective in going out, effective in loving God, effective in understanding, Lord, the purpose that you called them for, and taking your simple plan and just do it. This I pray in your gracious son Jesus' name. Amen.